Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you've got your Bibles, church family, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Romans. This is the last time you're going to hear me say, get your Bibles open to the book of Romans for probably a long time because guess what? Today is the end of our series in the study of Romans, the very last teaching uh, in our series called What He's Done. And I don't know about you, but I have absolutely loved this series. I have heard many, many, many stories over the last months. We've been in this almost a year uh, in this book with a few breaks, but we have been studying this book together for so long, and I'm so thankful for all of God's Word, but I'm especially thankful for how God has ministered to us in this season as He's spoken to us through the book of Romans. And of course, the book we've been saying again and again is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus loves you today. Jesus has finished a work in his life, death, and resurrection. He has finished a work to make possible salvation for you. It is possible to be put right with God now and forever by the work of Jesus Christ. It is all a gift of his grace. And he gives it to those who receive it by faith, who turn from self and sin and turn toward Christ and want to be surrendered and to to be reconciled with God again. This is the good news of the book of Romans. And Paul writes the book, he's been writing, uh, everything we've studied so far is aimed at helping us to know and to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And then to live in light of that good news every single day of our life. So today we have the joy of finishing the book together. How do y'all feel? Feel ready? Um, The title of today's message, this last message in the book of Romans for our current series is called Missional Mindset. And it comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 14, through the end of the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 27. And essentially what I've been doing in these most recent messages is I've been trying to walk through what does gospel overflow look like in our lives? What should it look like? In light of the mercy of God, chapter 12, verse 1, and I go back to this verse because this is a turning point in the book. If you know God's mercy, then what? He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to, and then he begins to explain what it looks like to live in light of God's mercy. So if you know and you cherish Jesus, if you really know how merciful God has been toward you in Jesus Christ, if you see all of your life bound up in his life, in his death for you, in his triumphal resurrection from the dead, in his present living for you, in intercession for you, in promise to you, Your whole life is bound up in Jesus. If you know his love and you love him, then what will your life look like on the day to day? So we've been going through these verses and and looking at what I've been calling these marks of a transformed life. And so far we've we've covered how our life should be marked by full surrender, number one. 
How our life, number two, should be marked by humble service. Number three, how our lives should be marked by sincere love. Number four, how our lives should be marked by overcoming goodness. Number five, how our lives should be marked by a submission to God and authority in our life. Number six, how our life should be marked by noticeable kindness to our neighbors and our community. Number seven, how our lives should be marked by an extension of grace. If we know his grace, then we'll live graciously with others. Number eight, how our lives should be marked by making peace. Number nine, how our lives should be marked by building up others. And the very end of last week, we got to number 10, how our lives should be marked by joyful hope. Again, you can follow along any of the messages that you've missed. You can go back and, and watch or listen online. And I'd encourage you to do so because it's such a joy to study God's word. But today, we are going to be looking at the continuation of these marks by looking together at the end of the book of Romans, starting in chapter 15, verse 14. And I've categorized the, the remaining marks under the category of missional mindset. And I'll explain to you more after we read the passage, but I want you to, to lean into God's word today because as we move toward a close and we consider what God would have our lives to be look like when we really cherish Jesus, there's this missional flavor that God is wanting to, to grow in your heart and in the practical rhythms of your life. He's wanting you to lean into the opportunity to develop even stronger sense of passion and purpose for the sake of the gospel. So we're gonna read the passage. I'll read from the English Standard Version. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. It's a healthy chunk of scripture this morning. So stay with me. This is the most important part of the message because this is the very word of God, starting in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring about the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Elkirim, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered coming to you. But now, 
since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia had been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what's been collected, I will leave for Spain by the way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all, amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. And greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, sorry guys, these are not the easiest to read, okay? My beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ, and greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenea and Tryphosa, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord, and greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ascanus, Phlegian, Hermes, Patrobus, Ermus, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace 
will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason, and so so Peter, my kinsman, and I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and your brother Cortus greet you. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now has been disclosed the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. This is God's word. As we close out today, I've got a message on my heart for you from this passage. God wants for your life to be marked by a missional mindset. Our main point this morning, and if you have something to write down notes today, I would encourage you to do it because it's a lot of text and some very practical and very personal applications today. And I really believe that if you're open to hear from God's word, there's some areas today where you can grow and where God may be stirring. God may be opening opportunities for you. And today he might reveal something new to you that he's never revealed before. Because of all that God has so mercifully done for us, we choose to live with intentionality to see the gospel spread at home and around the world. Because of Jesus, in other words, when we come to know Jesus and really know him, when all of our hope is wrapped up in him, when we understand him, when we've received from him, when our whole life is owed to his mercy, when we are trusting him, increasingly in our life, here's what's gonna happen. Those who really know Jesus are going to have a heart to make Jesus known. They're going to have a heart, a growing heart, to want to see the good news of the gospel spread. Wherever they are, but also to the furthest parts of the world. And it's not just like some program thing. It's a personal thing for believers. It's not just that I want to do something because my church is doing it and they're asking me to go or they're asking me to be a part of it. No. Because of my personal relationship with Jesus, as I grow in relationship with him, one of the things that's going to ooze out of my life is I am going to sincerely, personally, want other people to know him too. And I'm going to live my life with ever-increasing intentionality toward that end. That's, that's the heart of the passage today. Now, there's four marks we're going to look at today. Um, I'm going to continue the series. Uh, and so... The first mark of this sermon is mark number 11, because that's where we are in our list. So as we study the passage today, all of the marks of today start with the idea of commitment, okay? And the first mark we're going to look at, mark number 11, is a commitment to help strategic gospel spread. A commitment to help strategic gospel spread. And under this, I'm saying here, to understand this one, 
is understanding the call to be about the work of helping churches get planted and to help churches grow, all right? A commitment to help strategic gospel spread. Now, I'm gonna, we're gonna study the passage today by looking at all of these practical things that I see in the passage that Paul's calling us uh, to, both in terms of heart, but also rhythm of life. And the question I'm gonna ask with this first mark is, what does this mean? How can I actually participate in strategic gospel spread? And the first way to do that, Paul's gonna tell us as we look at the passage, is to long for all people to know Jesus from verses 14 to 16. Long for all people to know Jesus. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So he's basically going, hey, I'm really thankful you guys are maturing. That's one of the things that we should want for our church, for our own lives as a believer. We should want to, to grow into maturity. And Paul's saying, I'm really grateful for that. And he says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given to me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that by offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I basically see myself in priestly service to God. Now, if you think about the Old Testament system that Paul would have been familiar with, They'd have a tabernacle that became the temple, the permanent structure, and priests would be all the time offering sacrifices before God. And this would be their kind of service, day in and day out. They'd be basically saying, God, you're so wonderful. Here's what I bring you. What Paul is saying is his life, he sees his life in priestly service to God, but he's saying, one of the things I want to bring God are Gentiles. In other words, you have to think, he's a Jewish background believer. Gentiles, he's referring to, are those who are not of his own ethnicity. They're people who are of a different ethnicity. And he's saying, it is my heart and life. Out of the mercy of God to live as a kind of priest before God and to offer to God more people who are not of my own people, more people who are coming to faith in Christ. That's his heart. He longs to see more people know Jesus. Well, if you think about this, it's the heart of Jesus in the, in the Great Commission. Now, I've taught, I don't know how many times in our church, I've taught messages on global missions. Not just me, but many others. David Frazier, I texted him two days ago. I'm like, hey, I'm preaching, a I'm, pre I'm gonna re-preach part of the message from January on global missions that I preached with him. I said, you wanna come and co-teach again? We were just joking about it on text. We, we have taught again and again and again on this very subject. But the reason we keep teaching it is because it's so important for us to keep growing in it. And I'm telling you, you're not done growing in it yet. Because all of us, all of us tend toward ethnocentrism. And all of us need to keep growing to embrace God's perspective and God's heart. Jesus says the Great Commission is what we call this, the most basic commandment of making disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. But he says, make them of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
And one of the things that we've talked about again and again and again is this phrase right here, all nations, is panta ta ethne. It's not geopolitical nations. He's talking about ethnic groups. So when he's saying, go and make disciples, I want you. What does it look like to know you, Jesus? I, I want to trust you. I want to follow you. Jesus is going, okay, come. Come with me. Because I'm on a mission, Jesus is saying. I'm on a mission, a rescue mission. I'm on a mission, a redemptive mission. I want to bring people from all tribes and tongues into relationship with me. So if you want to trust and follow me, let's go. Let's go and and bring people into relationship with me. Make disciples of all peoples, okay? So we have to think about this and the way that Jesus is describing it. And we have to remember that we're not talking about geopolitical nations. So when he says, make disciples of all nations, there's 196 geopolitical nations in the world, but today there's over 17,000 ethnic groups in the world. Many of them here in this city, there are spread, of course, all across the world. When you look at a nation by geopolitical borders, it does not tell the whole story. You have to... So this is like the nation of Iran. This is how often we, through our lens, see Iran, but that's not how God sees Iran. God doesn't see it based on the borders that we have put up, but rather he sees all of these unique people with unique tribes and unique tongues, and he has a heart for every single one of them. And he's saying, I want you, you want to trust and follow me? Let's go. Let's go and declare the good news of who I am and what I've done to all peoples in the world. So, Paul is saying, I see myself as a minister of Christ Jesus in what way? To who? The peoples. I care, Paul's saying. In light of the mercy of God, I care deeply. For people, people who God loves, people who God made in his image. I care about the refugees who move in here to Memphis. If he were here today, he'd go, do you see them? Do you care? He, he, he's saying, I, I care about what's happening today in Ukraine. I care about What's happening in Russia? Do you see things for more than just what the Western media wants you to see? Or what our version of maps want us to see? Do you see people as God sees them? And do you care about them? Do you care about people's knowing Jesus? And do you pray for them? He says, this is my offering. The offering of people before God. So the first step is, how do you participate in the work of helping strategic gospel spread? First step is not an action step as much as it, well, in terms of work with your hands. It's more of an inward step in terms of moving toward God with your heart. Um, I, I was joking with our small group this morning. There was a small group text that went out talking about uh, eating at El Toro Loco, Mexican restaurant for church. I said, y'all get excited. There is a connection to the lunch that you just named and the sermon today. 
come for the Curious Connection. And they were like, international food? Okay, great, that's gonna be an interesting sermon. Um, Here's what I was saying though. So many times we go out to eat and we like things like Mexican food or Indian food or Chinese food. Anybody like Thai? Yeah, okay. And we appreciate and celebrate and enjoy certain things of certain cultures, but how, friends, we are called, I'm, I'm all about the food, okay? But before we think about other nations like that or other cultures like that and what they can offer to us in terms of their food or what vacations we can take to their land or what clothing we might enjoy from what they produce, friends, we have got to see things through gospel lens. We've got to realize it's not about what they offer to us, but first and foremost, what Jesus Christ offers to them. We have to think like that. We have to feel like that. So when you go to an Indian restaurant and you enjoy the food, are you thinking about the fact that 90% of that nation today, 1.35 billion people in India, do not know Jesus Christ, have not heard of Jesus Christ? When you eat Thai food, are you thinking about the fact that 65.8% of that nation has not heard of Jesus Christ? 63 million people made in the image of God who he loves and he died to redeem have not yet heard. Does your heart go first to what Jesus wants to offer to them? When you think about the immigrants coming over the border, are you thinking first as an American or a politician going, well, they need to shut the borders. This is a disaster. Or are you thinking first, these are people who Jesus made and they're obviously in trouble and they obviously have needs and they're coming in to our country. What incredible opportunity for us to access them with the good news of Jesus Christ that they need. We have to think less in geopolitical lens, less in national lens, less in our own ethnic lens, we have to think in terms of the gospel and we need to long for people to know Jesus. And you can pray, Jesus, would you help me when I'm eating Italian food or taking my trip to Italy to to think, to even be aware that 21% of the people groups in Italy are unreached? Italy, are you kidding me? You can go there on vacation and be a part of gospel progress. But do we think like that and do we feel like that? That's the first invitation. The second invitation is to participate in strategic gospel spread. Here's what you can do. You can actually see the disparity of gospel access. You can see the disparity of gospel access. Now I'm gonna skip down to verses 20, 21 because I want you to see something very critical here. He says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, so he's got a heart to share about Jesus, but look at where he's wanting to do it. What does it say? Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, and he says, as it is written, those who have never been told will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What is Paul trying to help us to get? Here's what he's trying to help us to get. There is a difference between gospel need and gospel access. Every single person in the world, every single person in Memphis, Uptown, Midtown, Mud Island, East Memphis, wherever you live, Sea Isle, Germantown, everybody here has gospel need. 
Everybody in the state of Tennessee has gospel need. In the, state of, in the country of America has gospel need. Everybody in the world has gospel need. Okay? Gospel need is universal. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. No, not even one. And there's only one way, one truth, one life, and it's through Jesus Christ. We all have a need for Jesus. But Paul's not talking about gospel need here. He's trying to alert you to gospel access. So, when we think about gospel need versus gospel access, what he's asking you to recognize is while everyone has gospel need, not everyone in the world today has gospel access. There are large portions of the world today where yes, there's equal gospel need to here in Memphis, but there is not equal gospel access. So a person has a need for Christ, just like you. But there's no one in their language, there's no one in their town, there's no one in their city, there's nothing on the internet for them to have access to even hear about Jesus Christ. And we know from Romans 10, 17, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And how can someone believe in whom they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone going? And today in the world, there is a big difference in gospel need and in gospel access. We have to have a strategic mindset about the access. We have to have think about people who don't have access to the gospel. Today in the world, out of the 17,443 people groups in the world today, 7,386 of them, as of this morning at 8 o'clock when I updated statistic from Joshua Project, 7,386 of them do not have gospel witness in their language in their people. That is 42% of the world today, 2023, they all have a need for Christ, but 42% of them do not have anyone to tell them about Christ yet. There's no church in their neighborhood. There's no gospel literature. They don't know Christ, and they don't have anyone there yet to tell them about Christ. This is what we're talking about with gospel need versus gospel access. Some people, when they hear about missionaries wanting to move overseas, they go, why don't y'all just stay here? There's need here too. Yes, there's need here, but we have to think in terms of the disparities because while there's need here, there is gospel presence here. And in other places, there's equal gospel need, but there's no gospel presence. And that makes all the difference for us. If you think about it in terms of population, eight billion or so in the world today, 3.4 billion in the world today are considered unreached. It's roughly the same percentage statistic, 42.5% of the world is unreached. And what Paul is saying, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Like John Keith Falconer's quote, I only have one candle of life to burn. And I'd rather burn it in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. That's the heart of one who's growing in love with Christ and in love with Christ's love for all peoples. 
And one of the things that Paul's inviting you to see is, do you even see, do you even see that there is disparity? Many of us understand disparities in a lot of other areas of life, and those disparities are important too, but there is no more pressing disparity in the world today than gospel disparity. And some of us need to actually, it's not easy to think about it, but we need to sit with it. Like Nehemiah went around and saw the brokenness and he let that brokenness move his heart, he wept. Some of us need to to actually let God move our hearts over these disparities and realities in the world today. And to begin to go, how can I be a part of seeing that statistic change. That's what Paul's saying, I've made it my ambition to get Christ to people who have never heard of Christ. Third, how can you participate in strategic gospel spread? Third, is to work to help our church send and support global missionaries. To work to help our church send and support global missionaries. This comes straight out of the scripture, verse 17. He says, in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring about the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. What Paul's saying is, yo, like, I want to talk to you about what Christ has done through my ministry. Like, I got sent out. Paul was sent from a church. His sending church was a church in Antioch. It wasn't ICC. It was Antioch CC. It was Antioch Community Church. All right, guys? So ACC. Um... His church sent him out. And Paul's basically bringing a missionary report back and he's going, look, like, guys, I just want to tell you, like, Christ is doing great things. I just want you to know, like, the, the work is going well. I was sent out. I was commissioned. They, they laid hands on me. I was sent out. And Christ has done wonderful things. So the word that has been proclaimed, the gospel, he's saying the word here, but also through acts of mercy, miraculous things that have been happening. People have, are coming to know Christ. He says, by power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so much so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Akirim, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it's written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. This is a map of Paul's three missionary journeys. The journeys are color-coded, so you can kind of understand them. So essentially, what Paul is saying is, I got sent out from here. And he's saying, after I got sent out, like, I got busy. (laughs) And, And what happened was, as I started to go, and to all these different places, what I've seen is as people have heard about the good news of Jesus Christ, they've responded. Like people are coming to faith. It's been amazing. I, I can't explain it, Paul's saying, except by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by signs and wonders, but people are coming to, to faith all over the region. Now, Paul's strategy was he was going, if you notice, his um, trail takes him through major city centers. And what Paul was doing was, he was going, he was showing up in major city centers. So when he'd come through Tennessee, he'd go to Memphis, he'd go to Nashville, he'd go to Knoxville, and he'd go, I fulfilled all my work in Tennessee. 
Now, the reason he was doing that was because his strategy, his missiology was he was winning people to Christ in major city centers. He was forming them together in discipling them toward being a church together. That church would be planted and he would consider his work done because once the church was planted, they then can take care of reaching other people from the city out into the surrounding towns to Christ. He'd move on to the next strategic city and he just did that again and again and again and again. You might think it's so bold in a matter of a few years, he says, I've reached the whole region. And you're like, wait a second, there were still millions of people unreached in that region. What do you mean you've reached the whole region? He's going, I fulfilled the whole, my ministry, I reached the whole region. And the reason he's saying it is because I planted churches strategically in all the places where I got to go. And it's been amazing. So he's saying his goal was to see churches planted. But what you have to recognize a church sent Paul out to do that. And today, this is part of why, friends, we have such humility and joy that one of the unique things that God has called us to do as ICC is to be a church that sends missionaries. Why do, right now, we've got mission team in Guatemala. Why do we send mission teams? Right now, we've got people in our church who are committed here will be sent long-term. We've got missionaries who are already long-term back here for a season of care. Why is it that we as a church invest so much of our energy, so many of our resources, so much of our prayer and our vision toward sending missionaries? Is it just because we think other countries are cool? No. It's because our heart has been shaped by God's heart. And it needs to continue to be shaped more. We have so much more room to grow. But we as a church want to see people know Jesus Christ. We want to see people know Jesus Christ in Guatemala. We want to see people know Jesus Christ in India. We want to see people know Jesus Christ in Central Asia. We want to see people know Jesus Christ later this summer in Serbia. We want to see people know Jesus Christ in West Africa and in East Africa. We want to see people know Jesus Christ. How can people come to know Jesus Christ? Someone is going to have to what? Tell them, right? How can someone tell them unless they are sent? So that means that we as ICC, we're not ACC, but we're 2023 ICC, but we're a modern-day Antioch church sending a modern-day Paul's. And we send people out for the purpose of sharing the gospel in a place where Christ is not known and getting churches planted and then continuing on that work such that today we can also see in our lifetime movement, more people coming to know Christ than knew him before our lifetime. Today in the world, most of the unreached live in this area right here. It's called the 1040 window marked by its uh, geography, and we have to recognize that out of the unreached in the world today, the majority live in this window. We are calling on you as our members to do a couple of things. First, pray for this area of the world. Secondly, would you consider living out your career in a strategic city in one of these areas of the world. Most of y'all have jobs where we could relocate you to strategic cities, capital cities, or large city centers in this area of the world. And you could live out your career in a city in this area, and by doing so, bear witness to Christ through your work, but also through your witness, and get Christ named in a place where currently he's not named, help to get churches started. You wanna make an eternal difference? 
Think about moving strategically with your career to one of these places. And third, we're asking our church to be joyful and generous in the support of sending missionaries and mission teams, raising up a whole new generation of missionaries is our vision and desire. Would you help us toward this end? Pray, consider going, and certainly be a part of supporting. That is one of the things that you can do to help strategic gospel spread. Last but not least in this category is working to help our church plant new local churches for gospel spread. To plant new local churches for gospel spread. And this comes from verse 19 and 20. He says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Ocurium have filled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. One of the things, I'll make a small point here, but it's an important one. And one of the things I just told you in the last one is Paul's strategy. He got churches planted, and then he turned those churches over to local believers. And it was the work of that local church then to spread and to plant, spread the gospel and then to plant other churches in that city, but also in those regions. And he's saying there are some churches that already have a foundation laid, but they still need to be built. Such is the case here at ICC in a place like Memphis. We have been planted. But we have to continue to remember the missional mindset that God calls us to here in our church and for our community. Yeah, Memphis has churches. But do you know what caused our church to be planted? As you look at the map of Memphis, this community right here, Mud Island, I'll, I'll make it in blue so you can see it better. Oh, gosh. Let's try red. Does, it, does that work? Okay. I just realized I was drawing on top of the river. That's blue and roads that are yellow. That's not helpful. So we were planted. Why were we planted on Mud Island? Was it just because we thought that was a cool place to plant a church? No, because a new community emerged on Mud Island about 25 years ago, and now 7,000 people live in the community, and when they built the community, they built everything that anybody could possibly want, a grocery store, a clinic, a dry cleaners, a coffee shop, you name it, a gym, even little schools, but notice there was no church. And God called Hoyt Lovelace, a modern-day Paul, God put a burden on his heart after he moved into the community with his wife and they were here for medical school and they started looking around and they were going, this community is lost, no one knows Christ and there's not any gospel witness here. So instead of driving 20 minutes out east to another church that they could have done, they said, why don't we start inviting people here because it is our ambition to see people come to know Christ. And they planted Mud Island Church. It wasn't called Island Community then, it was called Mud Island Church. They planted Mud Island Church in their living room, out of a heart to see people come to know Christ in a strategic place of lostness. And to this day, friend, you look at Memphis, but, and, and, and you can see Memphis is a church city. But lately, what you notice is so many church plants and mega churches are planted all out in these areas, some out east. But over the 13 years that I've been here, Downtown is, there, is very underchurched, undergospeled, so to speak, compared to many other parts of our city. So one of the things that makes us unique as a church 
is the opportunity, the unique opportunity and call to not just be another gospel church, to compete against other gospel churches in the city. No, we're not here to compete against other gospel churches in the city. We're not here for you to compare us to other gospel churches. We are here on a mission to reach downtown for Jesus Christ, to reach midtown for Jesus Christ, to reach uptown for Jesus Christ, to help South Main people know Jesus Christ. Yes, you might live in another part of the city, but don't you love that our church has a vision and a mission to do gospel work where it's really needed in our city, where it's been really hard to see good gospel work in this area. Man, it's a joy to be a church that has a mission to see the gospel spread here and to see other churches planted here. Did y'all get my email this week? If you didn't, it's okay. I won't get my feelings hurt. Um, some of y'all got it, may not have read it, but next Sunday morning, we have the joy of welcoming our very first ever candidate for a church planning residency here for our church. A family who used to be, live here in Memphis in Uptown who's lived in Brentwood for the last five years, working at a children's home there as house parents, taking care of 36 girls in great need, but who cannot get away from a stirring and a call of God to come back to Memphis and specifically back to Uptown to help to get a new gospel movement going in that community. At the very time that we have been praying about a vision to plant churches, and here we are coming together for a strategic opportunity to consider, is this what God is doing? whether it's this candidate or another, aren't you grateful to be able to live with a passion and purpose through your local church to be a part of helping other churches start in this city of need? I'm so grateful. And it's one of the ways that we can be able to participate in strategic gospel spread. Mark number 12. Mark number 12. Mark number 12 is a commitment to sacrificial gospel giving. Sacrificial gospel giving. And one of the things that Paul talks about in this passage as we continue to think about how to live with a missional mindset, one of the things that Paul calls us to is to recognize the opportunity just to, to show compassion and generosity with our money. To actually be a part of helping to fund gospel ministry with our money. That's the call in your life. I wanna give you a few brief points from the passage as we look at it, how we can participate in sacrificial gospel giving. One is we can open our hearts to needs and asks. Um, verse 22 to 25, Paul says, this is why I've been hindered coming to you for now. In other words, he's saying, I've been so busy planting churches, I haven't been able to come to you. But in verse 23, he goes, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've wanted to come to you for years, I'm going to hope that I get to see you passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped, here it is, there's a strategic need and opportunity here to be helped on my journey once I've enjoyed your company for a little while. Okay? Then he says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So one of the things that you gotta do is recognize, y'all, all around you, even right now, there is need and people are asking for help funding gospel ministry, okay? 
And one of the things that we have to do is be willing to keep our hearts open. Sometimes it is easy. Can I get a witness to close your heart when it relates to money things? Because you think, oh my goodness, if I even look him in the eyes the wrong way, you know, or if I, if I sit here and listen to this conversation, uh, then I'm gonna be obligated to give something. And we like to keep control over our resources. We don't like to tell people no, we don't like to hurt people's feelings, and we like to keep control. But one of the things that happens to us when we know Jesus Christ is it reprioritizes how we think about ourselves and how we think about what we have. We, all we have is because of what God has given, and we have to think about ourselves as stewards. And one of the things we have to do is just keep our hearts open. Uh, we've got members in this room who are raising money for mission trips. I currently am raising five to $10,000, need to fund Camp Hope this summer in August. I've been making some calls this week to some strategic members and partners. There are, uh, there's a staff team who serves week in and week out to bless you and to help you grow in faith. And we'll pass an offering later in the service to help to pay their compensation and also to keep the lights on in this building. There's, going, there's needs and ask all around you, even just here in our local church and beyond the local church. And one of the things that God calls you to do is just to keep your heart open. Paul's going, is your heart open? Because I want to come see you, but when I come see you, I'm going to be asking you for help. And I also need you to be aware that I'm collecting this offering for the needs of saints here in Jerusalem who have need. Open your heart. Secondly, you've got to be committed to be a generous giver. Just be committed. One of the things you can do now that you know Christ is you can just go ahead and set aside the first portion of your money in obedience to just say, it belongs to the Lord. It's a tithe. It just belongs to the Lord. I'm always going to give 10%. And the first 10%, I'm always just going to do it. I'm just going to be committed to that. Another thing you can do is just always be committed to doing what you can above and beyond that which you give to the church. Now look at verse 26. He says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. He's teaching you something. He's saying, I want to show you people who have joyfully given. God loves a joyful and a cheerful giver. And I want you to do the same. These folks who have come to know Christ, they are committed to generosity, and you can be too. Third, you should consider the blessing that's possible. Verse 27. Consider the blessing that's possible. He said, for they were pleased to do it. Again, they're happy about it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. In other words, what's motivating this group of folks to give is they're thinking about, man, I have been so blessed by Jesus Christ. I want to take what I have been blessed in, even if I don't consider myself a rich person or materially blessed person, I have been blessed in Jesus Christ. So I take the spiritual blessing I've received and I turn that around into an intentional life of wanting to offer whatever I have materially so that I can show people how blessed I have been by what he's given me, I want to be able to give to them. Consider the blessing. The blessing that God promises to you and the blessing that God promises to others. And fourth and finally, he encourages us to remember Jesus' call to serve. 
in verse 27, he says, they ought also to be of service to them. Remember, the Son of Man came, Jesus says, not to be served, but to serve. On the night they shared the Last Supper, Jesus took out a basin. He said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. Again and again and again, he called out in the tabernacle, in the temple area, he called out those who put in what they had. He wasn't celebrating people who gave quantitative abundance. He was looking at the quality of people's heart and the poor widow who put in just a little, he saw her heart and saw that that little was more than all the rest because she gave out of her need. She gave out of sacrifice and of service. Paul here is calling attention back to how they ought to be in service and how we ought to be in service to others. So the first thought of our resources is not how could I save for myself or do for myself or protect for myself, but how can I make much of Jesus with what he has given me? There's nothing wrong with having a Starbucks or going on a vacation or having a house, even a nice house, but what's wrong is if those things have a higher priority in your heart and with your checkbook than gospel things. Many of us have idols in this area of life, and it's hard for us to surrender what we have. And Paul is saying here, but look to Jesus, and remember that all that he had, he surrendered for you. So now with all that you have, surrender for the good of others. So I just wonder, as we think about gospel giving, I really think all of us in this area have room to grow. Grow in opening our hearts to needs and ask of others. Growing in just outright commitment to be generous. Growing in thinking about the promises and the blessings and also growing in a heart to serve. But I'm telling y'all, you can make a difference when you choose to meet needs and fund gospel ministry with your giving. You can make a difference. Whether it's giving here just on a regular basis within our church whether it's giving in special ways as God puts things on your heart, there are ministries that happen around the world simply because you give. Don't underestimate the opportunity to live missionally with your money and to make big impact in doing so. Commitment number 13. Commitment number 13 is a commitment to encourage gospel leaders. A commitment to encourage gospel leaders. And here's how I'd summarize this commitment, and we'll look at the text. We have, a, we have a call in our life to help and to bless, to refresh leaders who serve on the front lines of ministry. To help refresh and to bless leaders who are on the front lines of ministry. Now, how can you do this? Well, you can do it, first of all, by helping their need for prayer. All right? Verse 28, Paul says, When, therefore, I've completed this and I've delivered to them what's been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I'll receive, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And then he says this, verse 30. I appeal to you, he's begging, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me. Please come along with me. How? By praying for me. One of the ways that you can live 
with missional mindset is learning to join in the work by praying. To join in the work that's happening in East Africa today with Glenn Roseberry. This morning he posted on Facebook about visiting a widow's house and having house church there. And I just took time as I saw it to just pray. To participate with the Lord and with the work of the Holy Spirit, the good work of Jesus Christ that's happening as more people are coming to faith in East Africa. There's opportunities for us to join in partnership and prayer. You can join and work here in this church throughout the week just by praying for those who are leading, those who are on the front lines, just joining in prayer. You don't know how desperate leaders are for prayer because there are so many things Jesus taught us that will not happen in the kingdom apart from fasting and prayer. People joining together on their faces for real and saying, Jesus, would you do this? There is no way possible for this work to be done in Central Asia. There's no way possible for families like this summer in August to come to faith in Christ, for churches to be planted in a village. There is no way possible for that to happen apart, Jesus, from your work. So Jesus, I am coming and I'm joining in. I'm joining in a plea and a prayer and I'm asking that you would do something that we can't do ourselves. And in that way, you could be a part of the work. And he's praying, of course, strategically for the work that he's called to. Secondly, you can help leaders by being just aware of their need for refreshment. Verse 32, he says, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be what? Refreshed. Y'all, leadership is hard work. When we send people out to the mission field, when somebody's called to service in our church, whether it's as a deacon, whether it's a community group leader that you have, whether it's a pastor like me, People who are committed to lead in the kingdom of God grow discouraged, grow disheartened, grow weary, are susceptible to temptations and criticisms and attacks, physically get tired, emotionally get tired, spiritually get tired. And you would not believe how few people come to leaders and say, how are you doing? Most people come to leaders asking something of them but Paul says, I, I don't mind to, for you to ask of me, but I also would like for you to know that you have something that you could give to me. I need refreshment. And one of the things that you can do for leaders in your life is just be aware that leaders need refreshment. They're people too, and they need refreshment. And one of the greatest ways you can help to refresh them is by giving them community, and that's point number three. Help them in their need for community. And this comes straight from verse 32 because he says, and be refreshed where? In your company. In your company. So he's saying basically like, it's kind of like a, will you be my friend check yes or no? It echoes what he says um, up in verse 24 if you look at your Bible. He says, I hope to see you and passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey once I've enjoyed your company for a while. This reminds me of some of our missionaries. One of the joys that I have as your pastor is to be able to care
care for our frontline workers. We try to do that really well. Sometimes we get on a call and I've got an hour scheduled for a call with one of our mission partners and the call starts and they start talking and 55 minutes later I go, hey, I'm about to have to go. I haven't gotten a word in yet, right? Which is not the point of the call. But I would like to have some time for prayer. They are just so glad to have somebody to connect with. When they come back home, sometimes it, it, it will be hours and days on end that we'll just block off and we just know we're just going to just be with them and just listen. And they just, they're just lonely and they need company. Leadership is a lonely thing, not just for those who go overseas, but even just for those who are called into leadership here. Leadership can be lonely. And one of the things that leaders need is they need friends. They need people who, who will not think of them as super weird so they never get invited to parties. I'm not that I have any experience to this. As a pastor, sometimes we're like, you know, you like walk in the room and you're like, oh, the pastor's here, you know? Like I can tell, it, it changes the dynamic in the room. And I'm like, I like the Redbirds too, you know? Like, I just would like to be a normal person right now. And I'm not trying to say I don't enjoy being a pastor. I absolutely love it and I love the calling, but I also need friends. And every Christian leader just needs community. They need to be refreshed in just being known and being loved and laughing and enjoying, being invited over for dinner, being celebrated. I mean, it's, it's just a thing. One of the ways you can participate in the work of missions, Paul is saying, is by being a part of helping to refresh people by just reaching out to people and offering your friendship. And last but not least, you can also help by recognizing and participating in their need for affirmation. And this comes from verse 16, one. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of, the church of Centura, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her whatever she may need from you. She has been a patron of many and of myself as well, Greek Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ who risked their necks for my life, to not only whom I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Paul is going out of his way to say, these folks are worthy of your commendation. You don't have to worry about their egos getting puffed up. They've risked, they live their life in such a way that they've sacrificed, they've, they've sacrificed their lives to obey a call of God for your good. One of the least things you could do is just appreciate them with your words and say thank you. Thanks for what you've done. Thanks for what you're doing. We really are grateful. You've been a significant part of what God has done. Listen, we gotta be the biggest cheerleaders as a church family. Can y'all join me in this? We have to be the biggest cheerleaders in the world. When you go to pick your kids up today, say thank you. Those folks don't get paid for that. They do it out of a call of God to serve you so that you can enjoy the moment with God in worship. Smile and say thank you. Commend them for how they serve the Lord. Your church leaders, your staff team, your missionaries, our partners abroad, we have to be cheerleaders verbally with our words, appreciating them and saying to them, thank you for what you do and helping them to connect the dots because in a lot of leaders' hearts, they go, is it worth it?
Is what I'm doing any good? Has anyone been helped? What is happening as it relates to the fruit of my ministry? Many leaders feel that way. And one of the things you get to do is say, thank you. It's worth it. Your ministry is effective. We appreciate you and we celebrate you. Amen? How can I participate in missional mindset? Well, one of the ways is encouraging gospel leaders. And do you have any room to grow? How, are, are leaders in your prayers? Are you aware of their need for refreshment? Do you move toward them as friends? And when's the last time you used your words to appreciate them? Sure, there's always things to critique. Leaders are human, but there's also always things to appreciate. Focus on how you can pray where you see concern and how you can be verbal with appreciation where you see good. Last but not least, point number 14 is to commit to cultivate gospel friendships. Commit to cultivate gospel friendships. And I close with this. And then we're done with the book of Romans. We are called as Christians to pursue gospel unity and ministry with other believers. To pursue gospel unity and ministry with other believers. To cultivate gospel friendships. Thankfully, this point won't take very long because I'm not going to reread all the names. Are you sad? <laughs> oh my, a lot of baby name ideas for y'all who are expecting, okay? You could really throw them off in the school system. Um, the first point here, how can you do this? Befriend and love other Christians. You know, it's amazing to me, this, this grand figure, you know, this hero of the faith, this absolutely passionate apostolic force, Paul, the missionary Paul. And yet, in his letter, he's going, hey, like, equivalent today, hey, like, tell Katasha I love her. Tell Lara, I really appreciate her. I mean, Trip, dude, you're awesome. Thanks for opening your house, you know. Thanks for what you do in the community. Mary Beth, you, you keep rocking on, Mary Beth. You're, you're amazing, and I'm grateful for how you've hosted that community group. And, and Hannah, I'm just going around the room right now, I'm just looking at, you know, Hannah, he's basically, look, he's in his mind and in his heart, he's thinking about all these people who have come to know Christ, he knows something about their story, and he loves them. He's just oozing love. And then they give love back, and he's like, oh, and the people who are with me tell y'all we love you, and we love you, and you, I mean, it's just love fest. And this is not about denomination. This is something that's rising much above that, this is about we are together in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we all have a story to tell of death to life, of darkness to light, of hopelessness to hope, and we love each other because how he has loved us and we are friends and it's real. This is not about anything other than the reality of a real relationship rooted in love. Befriend and love other Christians. That's something that we're called to do. Who are the people in your life that you could name like this that Paul just named? Who are the people you would go, oh man, him and him and him and her and her and her and tell something of their story and, and just love them. Love them well. Oh boy, did I actually put all those verses in here? I did. Hold on just a second, guys. Look at all those names. Oh my. Secondly, how do we participate in cultivating gospel friendships? Focus on Christ together. Focus on Christ together. 
This is something that we got to rise up above denominations and we got to make it about Christ. We got to rise up above politics and rise up above tribes, whatever tribes there may be, and above ethnicity and neighborhood, socioeconomics. We have to rise up and make it about Christ. He gives some instruction here to watch out for those who cause divisions, which tells you divisions is not in the heart of God. Now, these divisions are created on some major theological issues. These divisions are creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine have been taught, and he's saying avoid them. But notice here, he's talking about this aim here is to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying avoid the things that don't serve that purpose. Pursue the things that do. And he begins to speak of how he wants them to do what is good and avoid what is evil. We have to focus in our gospel relationships on Jesus Christ. And we have to focus on pursuing Jesus together. One of the things I have longed for, ICC, is to be a church that tries to bring people together. We have a network of churches that's unofficial. It's not de- defined by, uh, it's not an official network yet, but it's a group of us who are just here in the inner city who are working in Midtown and in East Memphis and it's different denominations represented, several different races represented. Sometimes I sit at the meetings and I go, ooh, that's kind of an interesting thought or interesting prayer. It's not something that I would necessarily think or pray. But I have no doubt every person in that room has been redeemed by Jesus and loves Jesus and has a heart to make Jesus known in this community. And it is my call and it is our call as a church to be about lifting high Jesus here in the city of Memphis. Would you agree? And to be about the work of bringing people together around Jesus. To be known more for what we agree on than what we disagree on. The song of our heart and the story of our life is redemption by Jesus Christ. And for those who share that story, we relate to them with joy and we focus on him together. And last but not least, we hold on to his promises together. It's one of the things that we can do in a missional mindset is we can go to battle against the circumstances of our life and the brokenness of this community and the brokenness of our world. We can go to battle arm in arm. We're not called to do it alone. We need one another. But we do it in battle, holding on to his promises. He says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Aren't you glad for that promise? God will soon bring full and final victory. Lock arms with one another. You work together in the hospital. Go to battle for your patients, first in prayer and then with medicine. If you work in the school system, go to battle for your students, first in prayer and then with teaching. If you work in community good, no matter what you're doing here, go to battle first in prayer and then in the actual task and assignments that you have. No matter what you do in the world and in this city, go to battle with other believers in prayer, believing his promises, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, be with you. Now to him who is able, and he is able, friends, he's able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say to him, be glory forevermore, amen. And all of God's people say, amen. One of the ways that you can learn a missional mindset is learning to cultivate friendships with other people who hold faith in Jesus Christ and together to believe that he is able and one day 
he will finish what he started. So, missional mindset. Because of all that God has so mercifully done for us, we choose to live with intentionality to see the gospel spread at home and around the world in these ways, committing to strategic gospel spreading, committing to sacrificial gospel giving, committing to encourage gospel leaders, and committing to cultivate gospel friendship. I ask today, where do you need to grow? Is there any area of your heart that needs to be more surrendered for God to do this work? And is there any area of your life that could become more aligned with rhythms of life toward this end? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the ways that you have spoken to us today. And I pray, Lord, for your grace as we consider how it is that you have called us in this season of our life to live with intentionality for your name. Father, we want to be surrendered to you. We want to see more people know you, Jesus. We do. We pray that you would allow our lives to be purposed. To be purposed to help people know you. We want to help get the gospel spread. We do, Lord. We want to use our money to fund needs. God, we want to, to be a, a blessing to those who have been called and who are leading. Not a burden. And Lord, we want so much to be able to lift high Jesus, to build relationships around the city and around the world that just make it about Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you do this work? We pray. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.